Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Christian groups are being vandalized by both pro-gay and pro-abortion activists. We'll have two stories that highlight this growing and troubling trend. And a new report from the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability indicates that despite uncertainties in the economy, giving to evangelical groups is up. We begin today with news that megachurch pastor Matt Chandler will be reinstated to the pulpit after a three-month leave of absence. Yeah, Dallas-area pastor Matt Chandler returned to the pulpit on Sunday, December 4th, after a leave of absence. The Village Church's Board of Elders reinstated him following a disciplinary action for Chandler's inappropriate social media relationship with a woman who is not his wife. The elders told the church congregation Chandler had been diligently working through the development plan they gave him, including time spent in study and prayer, personal reflection, and multiple intensives with trusted outside experts. Yeah, Chandler's return coincided with the 20th anniversary of his being hired as the lead pastor of the Village Church back in 2002. Now, just to back up a little bit, on August the 28th, the church elder board suspended Matt Chandler after an investigation by an outside law firm found that he had violated the church's social media policy by having an online relationship with a woman other than his wife. While the messages between Chandler and the woman were not romantic, Romantic in nature. Chandler admitted that the communications were unguarded and unwise and were characterized by a frequency and familiarity that he said was wrong. The Board of Elders' statement about the messages acknowledged that friendship between brothers and sisters in Christ is encouraged, but that there are boundaries around what's appropriate in these kind of relationships. Our next story involves an important court decision that will impact religious schools in Vermont, but it's a decision that is being closely watched across the nation. Yeah, Vermont will now be able to apply tuition benefit programs to families who choose to send their kids to religious schools. A lot of folks don't know that way back in 1869, Vermont established a program called the Town Tuition Program to provide vouchers to families so they could attend schools of their choice uh, when they were living in small towns that didn't have public schools. It's based on the principle that towns pay the tuition to other schools instead of paying to maintain a public school in their local jurisdiction, fulfilling their obligation to provide an education to all the town's residents. In 1999, the Vermont Supreme Court ruled the law could not fund tuition to religious schools because it forced taxpayer support of religious worship. But families were approved when choosing secular private schools. So that meant that religious people and religious schools were disadvantaged solely on the basis of religion. That means that it opened the way for two high school students, their parents, and the Roman Catholic Diocese of 
Burlington, Vermont, to sue Vermont officials back in February for not only failing to act neutrally toward religion as required by the First Amendment, but also exhibiting what they call a remarkable hostility towards religion. A settlement was reached in the lawsuit on November the 30th, according to Alliance Defending Freedom, a religious liberty legal defense fund that represented the families. Uh, Not only did the families filing the lawsuit win the right to apply for the state tuition money, but families who are not plaintiffs in the lawsuit will also be given that right as well. They'll have the opportunity to request reimbursement for past payment of tuition. Now, this settlement applies just to Vermont families. Yeah, it does. But Vermont's program for tuition assistance, especially because it goes all the way back to the 19th century, is unusual. And a lot of other states are looking at it. It goes much farther than many tuition voucher programs that we've seen spring up in the past few years. So school choice advocates in other states are now asking whether the Vermont law especially when coupled with this new court ruling, might be instructive for rolling out more school choice programs in other states around the country. Our next story comes from Washington, D.C. Pro-abortion activists disrupted Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center's fundraising banquet on December 1st, shouting obscenities outside the Washington, D.C. venue. Yeah, and not only that, some pro-abortion activists came into the venue, not just outside, and disrupted the event at the very moment when the center's executive director was talking about the heightened security concerns that they and other pregnancy care centers were facing. At least six people were actively involved in the protest inside the room, according to banquet attendees. Activists from Shut Down DC and Our Rights DC claimed responsibility for the protest per Fox News. Yeah, we've been reporting on vandalism at pregnancy resource centers here at Ministry Watch for several months now. The vandalism was occurring before the Supreme Court's Dobbs v. Jackson decision, which eventually led to the high court overturning Roe v. Wade, but it has certainly accelerated since that decision. At least 100 pregnancy resource centers have been hit by vandalism this year. And in June, Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center was vandalized by pro-abortion pro protesters who threw red paint on uh, the building and spray painted the words, Jane Says Revenge. Um, That's a reference to the group Jane's Revenge, uh, a pro-abortion group that claimed responsibility not only for this act of vandalism, but other incidents around the country. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we take a look at how much money it takes to put missionaries in the field. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. 
For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break. It's a story about the economics of sending American missionaries around the world. Yeah, how much does it cost to send a missionary overseas, and how much revenue do missions-oriented nonprofits have to raise in order to send that missionary? These are a couple of the questions that Ministry Watch sought to answer when we asked our reporter, Shannon Cuthrell, to look into more than 60 of the largest missions, Bible translation, and fellowship evangelism organizations uh, to find out how many full-time missionaries they have in the field and how much it's costing them to put them there. And what did she find out? Well, overall, the average revenue per missionary for these organizations was $91,739. Now, that's the average. The median, it was 64000 so a little bit lower. However, some organizations were far more efficient than others, so the range was wide from about 29000 I should say, to more than $250,000 per missionary. That really is a wide range. Is it possible to say why the range is so wide? Well, as I just alluded um, to, uh, Natasha, I think, uh, you know, one reason is that some organizations are simply more efficient than others. Uh, They have better processes and better procedures. That said, it's important to note that some organizations do things other than send missionaries and might have more capital-intensive activities. So, for example, Transworld Radio, one of the organizations that we looked at, uh, has radio facilities all around the world. Simply dividing the number of staff into the total revenue doesn't therefore tell the whole story. But we do think revenue per employee is a fair metric. It's a common metric used in for-profit organizations. Anything else you want to highlight from that study? Well, one of the most interesting aspects of um, the story to me, uh, Natasha, was that uh, we asked 60 ministries uh, for information, but 26 of them did not respond at all, or nearly half. And I I have to say that that is uh, indicative of a general lack of transparency in the Bible translation and mission space. And our efforts to get information from key players in the industry revealed not only are they not used to being questioned by media and donors, um, that's especially a problem since the the Bible translation industry alone takes in more than $500 million a year, Uh, it indicates to me that there should be more scrutiny and oversight of this vital ministry category. So bottom line, I strongly recommend to any of our listeners that they check out uh, Shannon's story. We compiled the information into a single chart that I think donors to missions and Bible translation organizations will find pretty fascinating. I know I did. It's right on the front page of our website. Our next story involves an Illinois pastor who has pleaded guilty in federal court to bankruptcy fraud and squandering over $50,000 in federal funds and student loans to fund his gambling habit. The man's name is the Reverend Levecki Johnson. He's 47 years old, and he admitted to three counts of fraud, uh, including misappropriation of federal funds, student loans, and providing false claims on his bankruptcy case. Uh, Before resigning prior to Thanksgiving, Johnson pastored Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church in Champaign, Illinois. 
One of the charges alleged that Johnson spent federal grant money given by the city of Champaign to Lifeline Champaign, a summer enrichment program on personal expenses. Yeah, Johnson was an officer in that program, Lifeline Champagne, and he admitted to using more than $25,000 of the money earmarked for the project to uh, his uh, for his own benefit. Uh, personal transactions included several ATM cash withdrawals at casinos. Additionally, the charge claims that Johnson used over $30,000 in federal student loans that he requested under the guise of funding an online Master of Arts in Christian ministry program at Liberty University. He's also accused of making false statements, as I said, on the bankruptcy filing. He now faces up to 20 years in prison. Warren, earlier in the program, we talked about pro-abortion activists disrupting a pregnancy resource center event. Well, up next is a similar story. This time, it's a pro-LGBTQ vandals who deface the sign of focus on the family in Colorado Springs. Yeah, vandals sprayed graffiti on a sign at Focus on the Family headquarters in Colorado Springs last week, insinuating that the Christian ministry was complicit in a recent shooting at an LGBTQ plus nightclub. Their blood is on your hands, five lives taken, the graffiti said. Yeah, the statement referred to an incident that took place on November 19th at Club Q in Colorado Springs, where a gunman opened fire, killing five people and injuring 18 before he was subdued by two of the patrons there. Um, Suspect Anderson Lee Aldrich, who attorneys said identifies as non-binary himself, uh, made Aldrich's first video court appearance on November 23rd, mumbling responses to questions while slumped in a chair. Aldrich is being held without bail. Immediately following the shooting, Focus on the Family president Jim Daly told a Denver CBS television affiliate he mourned the tragedy and that his organization wanted to make it clear it stands against hate. Yeah, Colorado People's Press, which describes itself as local news by the people, for the people, published in its Twitter feed a photo of the vandalism and what it said was a press release from a group claiming responsibility, members of the Front Range queer community. In response to the vandalism, uh, Jim Daly, again president of Focus on the Family, issued a statement that said in part, this is a time for prayer, grieving, and healing, not vandalism and the spreading of hate. Focus on the Family is privileged to be one of the many organizations in our city positioned to help and support the needs of struggling individuals and families. The families of the five individuals killed in Saturday night's senseless attack are in our prayers. We urge everyone to pray for peace, and we also pray for the individual or group responsible for this mischievous and unwarranted defacing of our ministry's property. Warren, we're going to take another break, but when we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Nonprofit organizations raised a record $3.1 billion on Giving Tuesday this year, despite donors facing economic pressures, including, of course, inflation. Hashtag Giving Tuesday started as, as I said, a hashtag to promote fundraising, but became an independent nonprofit in 2020. The 2022 campaign marked a 10th anniversary of the day set aside for giving after the post-Thanksgiving shopping frenzy of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This year's total represents an increase of about 15% over 2021 and more than 25% over 2020, the Giving Tuesday organization said. About 37 million Americans participated. While we're on the subject of charity and philanthropy, a new study from the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability has some interesting data. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, An annual report on giving to ECFA members found that giving to those members rose about 3% after inflation, which is solid growth. Uh, That said, the growth was not uniform across all ministry categories. Large church giving fell by more than 6.6% in 2021, and giving to foundations rose the most, about 65.8%. I should add, Natasha, if I could, that uh, we interviewed both Warren Bird and Jay Clapp, the two men responsible for that ECFA study, on the Ministry Watch podcast. It's in the extra episode that we dropped earlier this week. And who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, Pioneers is a missions organization founded in 1979 with its primary purpose of evangelization and church planting in areas where there are unreached people groups worldwide. Pioneers supports and facilitates Christians to get involved in missions, either short-term, over a summer, maybe for a year, or perhaps as a lifetime as a full-time missionary. Pioneers United States headquarters is in Orlando, Florida. However, it's a global organization and has offices in 15 countries. Yeah, it's classified as a church for IRS purposes, though, and it doesn't file its Form 990 as a result. So uh, that really limits our ability here at Ministry Watch to provide the kind of analysis that we think is appropriate and necessary uh, when compared to other public charities. Um, Pioneers is, you know, I should say, another example of foreign missions and Bible translation organizations that are hiding behind that church exemption not to release their Form 990 to the public, but you can see the information that we do have, including information from their annual audit on the Ministry Watch website. Who did Christina highlight in Ministries Making a Difference? 
Yeah, in the past year, volunteers uh, have launched more than 200 new Trail Life USA troops around the country, 22,000 new members. That brings the total membership of the organization to over 45,000 boys and men. Uh, Trail Life is the largest Christ-centered, boy-focused, scout-like organization uh, in the United States. And also want to mention Child Evangelism Fellowship through its Hope for Ukraine project. It's partnered with local churches in Ukraine and delivered more than 125,000 backpacks filled with snacks, water, toys, and evangelism booklets to children who have been victimized by the country's war with Russia. Uh, I should add that Child Evangelism Fellowship is one of our highest rated ministries. It uh, has an A transparency grade, a donor confidence score of 90, which is very near the top. In fact, it's one of our Shining Light Awards this year. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, a couple of quick items. Uh, Earlier in the program, I mentioned the growth of Giving Tuesday, and I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to those who showed up for us on Giving Tuesday. We had an ambitious goal for the month of November, at least ambitious for us. It was $25,000. And just before midnight on Giving Tuesday, we hit that goal. Uh, We had about 175 donations during the month of November, which again is another record for us for a November. So thank you very much if you uh, gave to us on Giving Tuesday or during the month of November. And if you didn't, (laughs) there you have another opportunity uh, we have another very ambitious goal for year-end. A lot of Christian ministries, us included, um, raise uh, not the majority of, but a significant amount of the money that we need for the year during the month of November of November and December. Our goal for just December alone is about $56,000, so we would still be grateful for your help before the end of the year. I want to also mention that I'll be in New York uh, next week on December 16th. Uh, if you live in New York City, keep your eyes open for an email from me because I would like to have a cup of coffee with you if you're in the area. Um, if you want to make sure that you get an invitation for me, just email me at wsmith at ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Bob Smetania, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, Shannon Cuthrill, and Stike, Rod Pitzer, Christina Darnell, Catherine Post, and Jessica Adralde. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 